out for many, many years, every document had to be handwritten. And if you wanted to publish a book or get out your ideas, you had to write them by hand. We had hundreds of years in monasteries that historical documents were written down by hand. Then all of a sudden, in the 15th century, the invention of the Gutenberg Press, now books could be printed and sent all over the world. What did that mean for the Bible? There was an explosion of Scripture in the Protestant Reformation. The Bible went around the world because of that technology, the printing press. We look around in our nation and, and see uh, a lot of disagreement and division. But we can't ever forget that our, our nation was so divided in the 1800s that there was civil war. But there was an event that took place, a battle that completely changed the direction. It was the Battle of Gettysburg. Just a few hundred miles down the road, northeast from here, two brothers, the Wright brothers, invented the first airplane that would actually fly off the ground. My, how that's changed the world as we know it. From the first man who walked on the moon... To the Berlin Wall coming down and East and West Germany being united and the Iron Curtain falling, falling there in Eastern Europe. To 9-11. The world has been changed through these events. We'll look back at 2020 as one of those years that the world changed because of COVID-19. In 410 AD, there was an event that changed the world. Rome was the most powerful city, the most powerful empire in the world. But in 410 AD, there was a Gothic chieftain named Elric, and he led an army of soldiers to conquer and burn the city of Rome. Miles away from Rome, in the little town of Bethlehem, Jerome, the Bible scholar, was... When he heard that Rome had fell, he responded this way. He said, if Rome can perish, what then is safe? Jerome had a contemporary named Augustine. He was an early church father and a remarkable theologian. Augustine responded to Jerome's lament this way. He said, you are surprised that the world is losing its grip, that the world is grown old. When Rome fell, Augustine was inspired to write his magnum opus, a book called The City of God. And his premise was that the city of God cannot be equated to any human or earthly empire or kingdom, no matter how great or powerful it might be. You see, there's something greater than any human city, than any earthly kingdom than any global superpower. The Bible tells us that there is the city of God. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Go to your Bible app to find that. Also, the scriptures will be on the screens behind me. In Hebrews chapter 11, we come to what's often called the hall of fame of faith. Old Testament men and women who by faith sought the Lord, and God fulfilled His promises to them. But most of them did not experience the fulfillment of those promises in their lifetime. 
We come to the father of all, Abraham. We'll look at him, verses 8 through 16. Look there with me, Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. The patriarch of the Jewish faith, Father Abraham. By faith, that's a common prepositional phrase all throughout chapter 11. By faith, by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's a key verse. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things they promised, the things promised I should say, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Three truths from these verses. Number one, followers of Jesus are strangers and exiles on this earth. Followers of Jesus are strangers and exiles on this earth. Look back at the passage, Hebrews 11, verse 13. The Bible says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. It was not just the Old Testament patriarchs who were strangers and exiles on the earth. The New Testament tells us that is our identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We read in verse 9 that we as followers of Jesus are what? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Two verses later, 1 Peter 2.11, look there. Beloved, Peter writes, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The Bible says that we as followers of Jesus are exiles, that we're sojourners, that this world as it is, is not our ultimate home. To be honest, we're immigrants. We're aliens living in a foreign land, but our citizenship is not here. Now, if you want to travel outside of this country to another country, you've got to have something in your hand. It's called a passport. It is the official documentation from the U.S. government that lets the other country know to where you're going that you are a U.S. citizen. The passport is critical. 
Now, when you enter into that other country, you do not become a citizen of that country. You remain a citizen of the United States, and you are now an exile, an immigrant, a stranger, a sojourner in that country that you're going to. This is how the Bible describes us as Christians. That this earth, this world as it currently is, is not our true home. Where then does our real citizenship lie? Well, look at the Bible, book of Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells us, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It is fascinating here that Paul says we await for our Savior Jesus to come, that we await from heaven. From it we await. So how can we await from heaven for Jesus to come when we're not in heaven but we're here on the earth? I'll tell you how. Because when you and I say yes to Jesus and become his followers, the Bible says that we are now united with Christ. I did a wedding yesterday evening. It's a beautiful wedding. And I'm always struck by the powerful imagery of Scripture. How a man shall leave his father and mother. And how a wife shall leave her father and mother. And be joined together and the two will become one. And we're told in Ephesians 5 that this is a mystery of Christ and his church. I'll tell you this. When you and I are saved, something remarkable and mysterious happens. There's a real sense in which we live on this earth, but our real citizenship is in heaven. And somehow, because we're unified with Christ, we're in Christ, He is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. There is a reality that we are raised up with Christ. That's not just my idea. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I read last week from verses First few verses of chapter 2, and I was talking about the gospel of God's grace, that we're saved, that nothing is greater than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6. Here we're told that God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Look at verse 6. And raised us up with him. That's past tense. He's raised us up with him already, right? And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where is Jesus now? Well, he's making intercession at the right hand of God the Father for us. He's praying for us. That's where Jesus is. So the Bible says that when God makes us alive by Jesus Christ and we're saved by his grace, that we are raised up with Jesus. And we know that when the body is placed in the ground, that that body is going to be raised up again for the final resurrection. But there's a spiritual resurrection and renewal that takes place when we become followers of Jesus. I don't fully understand how that all works. 
but I believe it because the Bible says it. So our citizenship is in heaven. There's a sense in which we're already there in the Spirit, raised up with Christ. So how are you and I, if we don't really belong here, supposed to interact with the world? Well, two things. First, we don't need to allow the world to have a hold on us. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, do not love the things in the world. First, we come to James chapter 1 verse 27. We're reminded that pure religion is to look after the widow and orphan, to take care of them, and to not allow the world to pollute us. It says to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2, familiar verses. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, we're not to allow the world to pollute us, the world to conform us, or the world to have first place in our affections. But still, how are you and I supposed to relate to the people of this world? We're citizens of heaven. What is our job here on earth? There's a purpose that we're here. There has to be. If Becoming a Christian is all about being with Jesus for all eternity. Why would God, the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, not transport us to heaven? That's where we're citizens. No, He has a purpose for us. We are to be His representatives. His ambassadors here on earth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, that is, be reconciled to God. That's our message. We are ministers, all of us. All of you are ministers. If Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, you are a minister of reconciliation, calling people to be reconciled to God through Christ. Look at verse 21. Here's the gospel in one verse. For... Our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus. So God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our message of reconciliation. It's the gospel. And the gospel is the greatest message of all. And that message is not that God not that Jesus became a sinner. We become a sinner by our nature and by our choice. Paul says Jesus became sin. That means sin was placed upon him. That took place on the cross. And God made his perfect spotless son Jesus to become not a sinner but to become sin for you and me taking our sins that we might have that great exchange that we might have the righteousness of God that we might become the righteousness of God what is righteousness it means just to be right with God and so on the cross Jesus took all the sin 
And on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to be right with God so that when God looks at you and me, he sees us through Jesus. He sees us as, perf- as perfect as Jesus was and is. It's an amazing message of the gospel. It is greater than any other message. And we get to be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus. You know, an ambassador is, goes to a foreign country. And that ambassador, he or she, will represent the interest of their own home country in that foreign country. And so we represent the interest of our God and Savior in this foreign land, the earth that we live in. Sometimes, though, we're not very good ambassadors. Back in 2004, when Jennifer and I and our daughter Lauren, who was a baby then, we moved to Opelika, Alabama... For my first position full-time in Christian ministry, I was the college and singles minister at First Baptist Opelika. We were quickly immersed into all things Auburn. We had hundreds of Auburn college students that I was called to shepherd and lead as their pastor. And my senior pastor, Steve Scoggins, he told me that he said, I grew up at Macon in Georgia and He said, but I converted to Auburn because this is where God's put me now and you need to convert and become an Auburn fan. He told me that. He was pretty serious about it too. And if you you ever met Steve, he's a pretty serious guy. And when he says it, he says it. And so so I I did what he told me to do as best I could. I I became the best Auburn fan I could become. I, I tried valiantly. I put on orange and blue. I watched the games, Auburn games on television. I, I would go to tailgates with those students. And I would even go to the games and say War Eagle. And, and, and I really wanted Auburn to win um, most of the games except when they played Alabama. But, anyway. but my mom, who's a really big Bama fan one year, she gave us some presents for Easter. And, and she pulled out this Auburn flag to put on my car. And she said, Cade, your face was priceless. She said, you had like this look of shock. And you were kind of, I said, Mom, I'm not going to put an Auburn flag on my car. I'm just not going to do it. See, I was a lousy ambassador for Auburn. Lousy. I was not all in. I just couldn't do it. Because I was like Abraham. I was a stranger living in a foreign land in Lee County, Alabama. I just could not bring myself to raise a flag for Auburn. So I stopped trying to be ambassador for Auburn, and I realized who I was, an Alabama fan, (laughs) right or wrong. If we're not careful, we take in so much of the world, become polluted by the world, conform to the world, that we forget that we're really citizens of heaven, that that's where we really belong and we forget that we're here on this earth for this single purpose to take as many people as possible from this earth with us to heaven that's it that's our mission folks ask what's the mission of the church it's very clear to reach people for Jesus Christ if it's sending them shoe boxes so, so folks will come to know Jesus it's to have multiple worship services if it's to do whatever we can to reach people for Christ, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. That's why we're here, period. 
We are heavenly citizens, ambassadors for Jesus Christ on earth. Number two, followers of Jesus look forward by faith to the city that is promised for us. Look back at our passage in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he was looking forward, this is Abraham, to the city, don't miss this, that has foundations. That's critical. A city that has foundations. Whose designer and builder is God. That's critical too. God is building this city without with foundations. All right, look at verses 14 through 16. Same passage. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they, the exiles, the sojourners, us, They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If we're followers of Jesus, we will look forward with longing and expectation and desire by faith for the city that is promised for us. God has prepared for us a city. Our Lord Jesus says it like this in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. For those of you who've traveled before to another country, it can be a very intimidating, even frightful experience, but also very exciting to go to a new place, a different part of the country, a a different world, a different language and culture. It's just amazing. But after a while in that foreign country... You can very easily find yourself longing for home. To use a famous line from a classic movie, Dorothy Gale, from the land of Oz says there's no place like home. To use a movie from my childhood, that strange looking extraterrestrial E.T. who was left on the earth... He was a botanist studying the earth's plants. He gets left behind. And the rest of the movie, he is trying his best. What? E.T. Phone home. He wanted to go home. He longed, just like Dorothy Gale, to go back to Annie M. To go home. And there's a longing in us. The longer that we live as followers of Jesus, that we have this faith, this trust in our home and we desire a better country as Hebrews eleven sixteen says and the better country is the city of God designed by God with a foundation that place that Jesus Christ has prepared for us and the longer you and I live and really press and seek God the more we'll long to be with him C.S. Lewis can't say it much better than C.S. Lewis in mere Christianity he writes this If I find 
in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another place. You were made for another world. As Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and theologian and philosopher said, there's a God-shaped hole in every heart that only God can fill. Followers of Jesus were strangers and exiles in this land. Our real home were citizens of heaven. Followers of Jesus look forward by faith to this city, the city of God that is promised for us. But number three, and lastly, followers of Jesus have been promised a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Turn one chapter over in Hebrews to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Now, if you've not read the book of Hebrews or if it's been a while, a major part of Hebrews' context overall is that the writer wants to contrast the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant in Christ. So we come to verse 18. And he's talking here about Moses on top of Mount Sinai in Israel, how terrified they were of this encounter with God. And he contrasts that with the city of God. Look at verse 18. I'll read the entire rest of the chapter. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem into innumerable angels in festal gathering, into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the whole earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Twenty twenty, the world has been shaken. It's not the final shaking. Read the book of Revelation, trials, tribulations, lots of shaking, both of earth and heaven. But 
we are to be grateful that the kingdom that we've received is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see, all that we have built with our hands, our church buildings, our cities, our institutions, our countries, our militaries, all things built by human hands will be shaken And only that which is designed and built by God will remain. And that is the kingdom of God, the people of God. That's the kingdom that we've received. We should be encouraged, humbled, grateful. And as we'll see next week as we conclude this series, Greater Than, we'll see that gratitude, praise, worship, thanksgiving, Worshiping God, glorifying Him is greater than any discouragement, any fear, any weapon of the enemy against the people of God that we can overcome through our praise, through our gratitude, through our worship. How do we respond? Verse 28 tells us, grateful. We should respond with gratitude. We don't deserve to receive a kingdom That we did not build with our own hands. We don't deserve to be cleansed from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. We should be grateful. The most grateful, joyful, thankful people on planet earth are followers of Jesus. It's a kingdom that nothing can shake. No one can take you out of God's hand. Nothing can separate you and me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, let us offer to God, what? Acceptable worship. That means that we can offer to God worship that He does not accept. Let us offer to God true worship with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God, He's love. Our God... He is peace. Our God, He is holy. But here we're told our God is a consuming fire. And that should make our knees knock. That should make us wobble just a little bit. That we serve a God who is a consuming fire. You see, creation began in a garden. And it's going to end in a city. And this city of God is greater than any human city, any earthly government, any kingdom that we can build with our hands. Revelation 21, the very end of this Bible, says there will be a new heaven. We're not citizens of this earth as we know it. but We'll be citizens of the new earth. And all that can be shaken and destroyed and cleansed and purged, will be taken away. But there will be a new earth. There will be a new heaven. Revelation says the holy city, the new Jerusalem, will be coming down out of heaven from God like a bride adorned for her husband. Father, I pray right now that we will be ready to meet Jesus, that God, when this world shakes 
and it's going to shake again in 2021 and the years following. This world is going to continue to be shaken. Lord, I pray that we would have that firm foundation in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would be reverent, humble, grateful for this kingdom. Lord, help us to be good citizens of heaven, doing our job on earth to be ambassadors for Jesus. Bringing as many men and women and boys and girls as possible with us to heaven. Thank you, God, that you're not going to be finished with this earth. That you're going to renew this earth somehow. That you're going to wed and merge heaven to earth. That there's a kingdom that we're going to be a part of that is unshakable. Oh, God, we thank you. Help us to remember that we're just exiles here. Help us to not grow too fond of this world. Help us to keep ourselves from being polluted by this world. Give us a longing for our true home. And God, let us be grateful for giving us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me now? We're going to sing a simple song. That all it says is, I have decided to follow Jesus. And today, you for the first time can say, Pastor, I want that unshakable kingdom. Money can't buy it. We can't build it. Jesus makes this kingdom. You can by faith trust in Jesus Christ. Today can be the day of your salvation from sin and you can be a part of the family of God and on that day stand with a great huge number for all eternity and glorify and serve God forever that's our hope the unshakable kingdom today can be a day for you to say you know what I need to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ today I need to say yes to join this church today I need to say yes to having a, a discipline of Bible reading and prayer. I want to grow, Pastor. Or, Pastor, I'm just hurting. Would you, would you pray for me? You come this morning as we sing.